don't mind, we can go to our knees and ask God for that help. Father in heaven, it has been a beautiful day. Time spent with you, with each other. It is now into the new week. And Lord, we're about to tackle a subject that few have really looked at in the way that it should have. So we need your spirit. I ask, Father, that you open our understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good. So tonight's topic is prophets, psychics, and apostles. Fake, 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 fake. Did I do that right? Fake, fake, fake. I gave four fakes that time. Now, my friends, this subject matter that we're going to cover, I want you to understand that the devil hates what I'm going to share with you. He's gotten people afraid of owning a special gift that God has provided, especially for his church in these last days. And I'm going to share with you ways that you can identify whether or not you are talking to a true prophet, whether or not you should be touching and engaging with psychics or astrologers or whomever else. And as we study, my friends, I want you to have an open mind because I'm going to give you a gift tonight. In fact, when we're done, there are two books I'm going to give you. You're going to want to take them home, read them for yourself, study for yourself. But I'm going to give you two books, and by God's grace, they will be a blessing to you. So first, I want to start in the book of Revelation. That's interesting. That's interesting. All right. We're going to start in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, and beginning at verse, we're going to start at verse 1 and read into verse 2. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record. Now, John bore record of the word of God and of the testimony of who, my friends? Of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see the results of what happens when someone holds to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, 
was in the isle that is called Patmos. Well, why were you there, John? For the word of God and for the what? Testimony of Jesus Christ. So in this passage, John is communicating that he bears record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And as he is bearing record of this word, there is a hatred that is kindled against John. Now, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a history of people who believed in Jesus, who were faithful to Jesus, and how the enemy went about to kill and assassinate the believers of God. And in particular, there's a story about John the Revelator. And John the Revelator was teaching and preaching, and many were being converted to God. And so the Roman emperor decided that it was not best that John live, so they put John in a pot of boiling hot oil. John the Revelator. John the, the, the apostle of Jesus. So they put him in a boil, boiling oil, and he couldn't boil him. Can you imagine that? I get hot going to the stove. They put him in boiling, scorching hot oil. They put him in and couldn't kill him. So they said, since we can't kill him, we're going to send him to Patmos. Since we can't silence him, we'll isolate him and put him somewhere else. Do you see that, my friends? The enemy hates the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. Notice what else the Bible says. Go with me to Revelation chapter 6 in verse number 9. Revelation chapter 6 in verse number 9. And here in Revelation 6, we have the opening of the seven seals. And in particular, this seal, the fifth seal that is open, there's an interesting sight that we find here. In Revelation 6 verse 9, the Bible says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Well, why were they slain? They were slain for the word of God and for the, what's it say? Testimony at their hell. Brother Samuel, can you do me a favor? It's a little loud out there. Can you ask them to tone it down? Thank you. So they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. Do you guys see that again? So whoever bears the word of God, whoever has the testimony of God, that is a person that becomes the target of the devil. Do you see that, my friends? Stay with me. Now, I want to go a little bit further. I want to go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And I want us to begin reading again now at verse number six and seven. Now, I don't know if it was last night or other night. We talked about the two witnesses. And there's a beast that comes out of this bottomless pit. But in verse six, it says, or verse six, it says, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished or are finishing their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them. And what's it say, my friends? Kill them. Kill them. So these, these ones that have the testimony, those who have the clear declaration of the word of God, the enemy says we can't have them living. And remember I told you in the mouth of one, of one witness it doesn't count. But in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the Bible says, let it be what? 
established. So when we have the two witnesses exposing the man of sin, they don't like that. In the mafia, they kill witnesses. You understand? They take them out because the witness exposes that which is not true. But let's go a little further. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse number 17. And the question I put on the screen is, what does the remnant of the woman's seed have that the dragon hates? In Revelation 12, and look at verse number 17. The Bible says, and the dragon was wroth. That's King James for angry. And the dragon is none other than the devil and Satan. So the dragon was wroth with the woman. And we say the woman in Bible prophecy is a symbol of the church. So the devil is man at the church and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now, what does the remnant have? It says that keep the commandments of God and have the what? I I got news for some of you. The devil ain't mad at some of you. See, the devil's only mad at those who have the commandments and have the testimony. See, you can't be a Christian and break God's commandments. You can't be a Christian and teach others to break God's commandments. The devil's not mad at you. He's actually like, good job, you're on my team. Huh? But if you are a commandment keeper and you hold to the testimony of Jesus, the devil's upset. That explains a lot during these meetings. That explains a lot of the attacks that I've received while I've been in these meetings. That explains a lot of the reasons why it's sometimes difficult for you to come out and hear the word of God. The enemy is upset at what is being taught and preached in these meetings, my friends. I like making the devil mad. Because if I'm making him mad, who am I making happy? I'm making Jesus happy, amen? It's okay to make the devil mad, and many of us tonight need to make the devil mad by making a right choice for Jesus. But what happened? There is something that transpired in the experience of humanity that caused God to have to communicate through prophets. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And when you have it, just say amen. Genesis 3 and verse 8. In Genesis 3, this is where Lucifer is tricking the people of God. Uh, and has caused them to violate their covenant relationship. In Genesis 3, verse 8, when they have violated their relationship, watch what their disposition is to God when God comes to talk to them. Verse 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. What did they do, my friends? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So God normally would come and commune and fellowship and talk and have an intimate conversation with humanity. But now that humanity has taken from what God has said not to take, their position and their disposition towards God is fear. The disposition towards God is, I don't want to be too close because then I'll be exposed. Now remember, we read in Isaiah 6 the other night, When the presence of God is there and Isaiah is standing in the direct presence of God, he begins to say, woe is me, for I am undone. 
for, I'm a, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, my friends, our disposition has changed towards God because sin has caused a separation. Does everybody understand that? Isaiah 59, verse 2. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. We're looking at why there had to be an adjustment because there used to be face-to-face communion. God would come down and he would have a conversation, but he could not do that anymore. So in Isaiah 59, and we're looking at verse number two, notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, actually start at verse one. I like verse one too. It says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your, what's it say, my friends? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins and your what? And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Remember now, Adam and Eve used to have face to face communion, fellowship. But because sin has now come into play, face to face communion is not possible. Because if God showed up while we were still in our sins, in his purity, we would cease to exist. So God has to send, he has a buffer. I'll send a prophet. I'll send an angel. I'll send something else because I cannot manifest myself like I want to. But let me tell you something or ask you something. Do you think God always wants to talk through someone else? No, I think God at some point, my friends, I'm going to tell you, God at some point is not going to use a prophet. At some point, he's not going to use dreams. At some point, when we have come into face-to-face fellowship, we are going to see him as he is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is his passion. That is his desire. That is his purpose in the creation of man, fellowship. That's what happened in the garden. So what are the other ways that God used to communicate after the fall? We find in Daniel 9:21 and Luke 1:19 and verse 30 and Matthew 1:18 to 24 that God used angels. Angels would come and communicate. Angels would come and, and bear witness and bear a message for the people of God. Angels would come. He would use dreams. I have dreams sometimes. And I'm not a prophet either. <laughs> sometimes it's because you eat too late you have dreams. Amen. <laughs> Doesn't mean God spoke to you, it means you you ate wrong. Okay, but there are other times that God literally talks to us in our dreams. He gives us instruction to protect us from making bad choices. Now you find that in Job 33, 14 through 16 in Joel 2.28. Joel 2.28 tells us that in the last days, God will give his children dreams and visions. This is by the means by which God is going to communicate or has communicated himself. Let's go to Exodus 19. I want us to do that one for a moment. Look at Exodus 19. Look at Exodus 19. And I want to look at verse 18 and 19. Exodus 19, verse 18 and 19. God can speak himself. Exodus 19, verses 18 and 19. The Bible says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. 
And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake. And who answered, my friends? <coughs> who answered? God answered him by a voice. So God can speak. He won't show up in his person, in his fullness, because we're not ready for that. But God himself can speak to us. Somebody says, well, it's interesting because there are people who are even Christians today who don't believe God can speak. They say, you must be crazy. You're hearing voices. Now, some are. I'm, I'm not going to lie. There are some people making up stuff in their head saying God said to do something. And I'm going to show you how to. Yeah, that'll be helpful. I'm going to show you how to identify whether or not it is legitimate, whether God is speaking to you or not. But let's go a little bit further. So God also sends prophets and prophetesses. So what is a prophet or a prophetess? Hebrews chapter 1. Now, my friends, you must understand this because we're living in these last days, and there are going to be a bunch of false prophets and false teachers, and they are preaching right now. They are teaching in pulpits today. You need to know how to identify them. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So from this passage, here's what we can get. Prophets speak for God. Does everybody agree with that? Prophets speak for God. Go to 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Kings chapter 17, in verse 13. The Bible says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah. Well, how did he do that? By all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets." So clearly in this passage, we can see that when a prophet shows up, he's not always speaking nice things. Hmm? When he speaks, it's a rebuke. It's a cut against what we would normally and naturally want. In fact, my friends, I'm going to tell you something, and I might get to it later in the talk too, but it's in my mind right now. We don't like prophets so much, we kill them, stone them, isolate them because they're in our business. We'll say that they're legalistic. They're false. Because what happens is the prophet speaks for God, and when he speaks for God, it details the reality of my unclean condition. Remember now, God does this in a nice way. He could do it in his fullness. He could just show up, and boom, he's just there, and we're like, ah, and die. But he doesn't do that. He sends someone, and he speaks. And when he speaks, it cuts. And when it cuts, it's annoying. You know when it's a good sermon? When you're annoyed and troubled. <laughs> huh? 
It's, it's not always a good sermon. You're like, man, I, I feel good. Praise, hallelujah. No. No, that's not it. It's I'm troubled. That's good for me. I need to come up higher. I need to come up higher, not comfortable in my sins, not comfortable in my religious walk. I need to come up higher. That's when you know a prophet is teaching according to the word of God, not letting us stay in a comfortable position while hell is on its way. Exodus chapter 4, verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 16. Exodus 4 and verse 16. The Bible says, I'll give you a few more seconds to get there. I hear the, the page, the, the, the sound of Bible pages turning is so nice. It's actually a very nice sound. Exodus 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And this is God speaking to Moses about Aaron, his brother. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shall be to him instead of God. So God is talking about Aaron. Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece, and you will be to him as I would have been to you. You're going to be to him a God. So a prophet does not speak for himself, and a prophet, and I'm going to quickly say this, a prophet is not perfect. Y'all hear what I said? A prophet's not perfect. Aaron wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. But God uses broken people to communicate a perfect message. Same, same book, chapter 7, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Exodus 7, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Do you see it? And it's so interesting now. There are so many people running around claiming that they're prophets. Come on now. You can't call yourself a prophet. God calls you a prophet. God puts that on you and is recognized by others, but you can't put that on yourself. So there are people that say, I only need the Bible. I like that. That's beautiful. It's a good, this is a good statement. Watch carefully. Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. Watch what the Bible says. Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the, what's it say, my friends? So the prophets prophesied before, and there is written in the Holy Scriptures. So the prophet's words are in Scripture. Go a little further. Matthew 26, 56. Matthew 26, 56. Matthew 26 and 56. Notice what the Bible says. Notice how the Bible says it. Matthew, somebody says, I only need the, the writings of the Bible. I don't need words from prophets. No, listen. 
Matthew 26, 56 says, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So who's writing the scriptures? Who's, who's writing the scriptures based on this verse? The prophets are. The prophets are writing the scriptures. The prophets are the ones that God is inspiring to use as inspiration for his word. Let's go a little bit further. So notice these texts. Uh, I think we did Exodus 7, 1 and 2. Go to 1 Samuel 9 and 9. 1 Samuel 9 and 9. 1 Samuel 9 and 9. I'm giving you a biblical understanding because we're going to make an application shortly. 1 Samuel 9 and 9. The Bible says, before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, come, let us go to the seer, for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. No, what's a seer? A seer. No, not a psychic, a seer. So this is, this, is, this is a person who can see what God is telling him to see. Okay? He is, this is a person that God is speaking to and communicating with on a very spiritual level. So another name for a prophet was a seer. Not a psychic, not a witch, none of that, but a seer. Amos 3.7, go to Amos chapter 3. Amos Chapter 3, in verse 7. When you have it, just say amen. amen. So Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the... So God's not going to do anything unless he tells the prophets. He's going to communicate to the prophets, and then he's going to make his move. Second Peter now, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. Pay attention to the passage. The Bible says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who, my friends? The Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So these men are not prophesying by their own whim, how they feel. What they're doing is the Holy Spirit is moving upon them, and then God is, is impressing their minds, and then they give the word as God get, tells them to give it. First, first Corinthians, First Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 28. First Corinthians, chapter 12, and verse 28. Now these, these gifts that God gives to his church are to help the church grow, especially in these last days. It says, and God has set some in the church. Now, let me pause for a second. When I read this, there, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. See, the church today, uh, to a great degree, because the Spirit of God sometimes lacks in a body, there are people put in positions that don't have the spiritual gift to maintain that position. 
So, for instance, if there's a, a teacher that teaches Sabbath school, but they don't have the gift of teaching, what happens to the people that come to listen? They don't learn anything, right? Or you have somebody that's a, uh, 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 I'm trying to be nice, so I don't want to get anybody thinking about anybody in particular, right? So, huh? Like, let's say there's an evangelist. You're supposed to do an evangelistic meeting. <laughs> and he doesn't have the gift of evangelism. How can the church be benefited if the person doesn't have the gift? Are you following the idea? So everybody must function in their space if the body is going to grow. So now notice what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And God has set some in the church. And notice what he does. First apostles. So there's an order. First apostles. Secondarily prophets. Third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles? Yes or no? No. Are all prophets? Yes or no? No. Are all teachers? Yes or no? No. Are all workers of miracles? Yes or no? Have all the gift of healing? Yes or no? Do all speak in tongues? Yes or no? Now, see, this is important. Because there are people that teach that you have to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. But the passage just says not everybody has the same gift. Are you following what I'm saying? The gift is given to enhance the body, and as the body functions in their space, the body grows. The body grows. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 11. I like this. And this in particular, it, 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 it's referencing the body of Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is poured out, so we have the gifts of the Spirit and we have the fruit of the Spirit. Those are two different things. The fruit of the Spirit is character. The gifts of the Spirit is that which God gives to the body in order to help the church grow. But the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, those things, right? But notice what it says in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, that's interesting. Well, how long are these gifts supposed to last? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the, of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the church in its fullest state right now? So that means that all the gifts are still available right now. Is that right? So the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophets, the gift of evangelism, the gift of teacher, they all still exist because the body is, is not fully mature. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, let's go a little bit further. Now, there are some identifying marks of a good church or God's church and apostate church. And mind you, there are only two churches in the world. 
you say Brother Waller, but I, there's Episcopalian, and there's Baptist, and there's Seventh-day Adventist, and there's Roman Catholic, and no, there are only two churches in the world. Those who obey what God says to do, and those who don't. Are you hearing what I'm saying? At the end of the day, there's only two churches. The Bible only indicates two churches. The, the, the pure church in, Re, in Revelation chapter uh, 12 and the, the fornicating church in Revelation chapter 17. Only two churches. And what's going to happen, I'm going to stand back and I'm going to let you pay attention to this idea very quickly. What's going to happen very soon? Denominations aren't going to matter one way or the other. There's an ecumenical movement going on right now with all the churches to come together. That movement... Humbly, I say, not of the most high. And tomorrow night, when I talk about the mark of the beast, you do not want to miss tomorrow night. Because I'm going to lay it, I'm gonna, it's going to be one of the most sermons. You heard that sound effect? It's going to be so plain, you're going to have to make a decision. But the churches are coming together and they're coming together and putting aside their differences. What do you mean? They're putting aside doctrine. They're coming together for one world religion, a one world purpose. Well, why? Doesn't the Bible teach that's going to happen? Yes, it does. But there's only two churches, those who obey what God said to do and those who don't. So let's go very quickly to some of these identifying marks. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Go to Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. So God is as a church, he's having a movement that's going to consolidate together, and the devil has a church, and he has a movement that he's consolidating all the churches together. So let's look at this. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. So Jesus is calling his disciples to him. And he ordained, how many he ordained, my friends? 12, that they should be with him and that he sh might send them forth to preach. And then it goes on to talk about them healing uh, sicknesses and casting out devils and so forth and so on. And he names them. So this is the beginning of the formation of the New Testament church. Everybody see that? He calls those 12 the beginning of the formation of the New Testament church. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. You see the other verses up there. I'm not going to go through every verse, so I'm going to pick and choose here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're looking at verse 2. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Now, Paul is the author of this passage, and Paul is going to be commenting on the condition of the church. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, the Bible says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Well, that's interesting. Paul is talking about the church, and he's saying, I have presented you as a chaste virgin. Now, a virgin is pure has not been tainted, and he's describing the church as this pure, clean woman. Revelation 12, verse 17, go there again very quickly. Revelation 12 and verse 17, another identifying mark. So number one, 
Jesus is the organizer of his church. Number two, the church is supposed to be clean, and he will have a clean church before he comes back. Amen. Revelation 12, verse 17, another identifying mark. Notice it says in 12, verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Another identifying mark. So God's true church in the last days will obey all 10 of God's commandments and they will have the testimony of Jesus. You guys follow? Go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Watch this. In Revelation 19, verse 10, the Bible says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is what, my friends? Well, I thought this was interesting. Now, this is, this is going to be a correcting point for some of us. Do you see the passage? I'm going to read it one more time. It says, I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. So the testimony of Jesus is not a person. Are you guys okay right now? Because it says, I am of your fellow servant who have the testimony. So the testimony of Jesus can be given to someone else. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of prophesying. Are you following? I'll say it a different way. Because if you miss it, you miss it. I'm going to, because what's going to happen is this. In the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. And he's going to give his spirit to others who will have the ability to and receive the gift of prophecy. It is not relegated to a person. Again, I said it for the person, the people that need to understand, need to understand that. Because at the end of the day, we sometimes relegate it, say, oh, this person is the spirit of prophecy. No, this person had the spirit of prophecy. It is the testimony of Jesus. It's not the person's personal testimony. It's Jesus' testimony through that person. You got to get that right. Because what happens is we want to focus on the imperfections of a person and miss out that it's not the person that is the issue. It's the message that you got to deal with. It's the message of Jesus coming through the person. This is where many have messed up. This is where many have fallen short of their full understanding. So we know the church is going to have the commandments and they're going to have the spirit of prophecy or the testimony of Jesus. We know the church is supposed to be pure. We know the church was organized by Jesus himself. And we know the church is going to be giving the last messages, the three angels message. We read that in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12 this morning. So I'm not going to read that all over again. But then we also are to know that the church rises after the year 1798. Now, why do we know that? That's a good question. Why did I just put that up there randomly? I'll answer that question on Thursday. Okay? I'll answer that question on Thursday, why I'm telling you that the church rises after 1798. 
Now, these are passages that highlight that women are, are, there are biblical examples of women prophetess, okay? You have Miriam, and Micah 6, 4, the Bible calls her a prophetess. We have Deborah, in Judges chapter 4, verse 4, we have Huldah in 2 Kings 22, 14 through 20. We have Noadiah in Nehemiah 6, 14. We have Isaiah's wife. Did you know there were prophets married to each other? I wonder what that relationship was like. Huh? We have Anna. The Bible calls her a prophetess in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And we have the daughters of Philip. He had seven daughters. Was it seven or five? Let's go there. You don't have to guess. Amen. Acts 21. Acts, Acts 21. There are women in the Bible who were prophetess. Now, not every prophet or prophetess has a book in the Bible. Okay? Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the, what's it say? So he did have seven daughters, and all seven of them were prophetesses, and he abode with them. And the same man had four daughter virgins, which did prophesy. Okay, so he had four that prophesied, but, but he had seven that were, uh, four that prophesied, but he had seven daughters. All right, I put some other things down here. There are examples of others in the Bible who were called prophets, but they did not prophesy. They prophesied, but were not called prophets. So just because you, have the, you can prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. So Rachel prophesied, Hannah prophesied, Abigail prophesied, Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, all prophesied. But just because you prophesied doesn't make you a prophet. Does that make sense? Anybody ever go play basketball before? It doesn't make you a basketball player. Huh? That means you played basketball. That's it. You are not a professional. Get off the court. You know, it's going to hurt somebody. All right? So just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophetess. So there are false prophets. I do want to read Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 17 to 23. Ezekiel 13, 17 through 23. Now, there's a danger with false prophets. The Bible says, Likewise, thou son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesy out of their, what's it say, my friends? This happens too much in church. You'll see a preacher preaching or somebody be like, I, I have a word from the Lord. And they didn't have any word for the Lord. What they had was they want your money. What, what they had in their mind was they want your praise. What they had in, your, in their mind was I want you to follow me. They didn't have a word from the Lord. See, they prophesied what was in their own heart. Mercy, brothers and sisters. And says, and prophesy thou against them and say. Now God's telling Ezekiel, prophesy against them and say, Thus saith the Lord God, woe to the women that sew pillows to all armholes and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people? And will you save the souls of life that come unto you? And will you pollute 
me among my people for the handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live by your lying to my people that hear your lies. Mm -mm -mm. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against your pillows. That's an interesting phraseology. What is, what, when you have a pillow, what does that normally make? What, what is that for? For sleep, for comfort. So the prophet, the false prophet, prophesies lies to make you comfortable. Mercy. It says, wherefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I'm against your pillows, wherewith ye there hunt the souls that make them fly. And I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt, to make them fly. A strange language. It keeps on saying, your kerchiefs also will I tear and, you, and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Because with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Y'all heard that? Let me translate that for you just in case you missed it. So a false prophet will teach that you can be saved in your sin. They will teach grace, 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 and never will they tell you that the truth will set you free. That's why, and I say this respectfully, that's why Snoop Dogg is deceived today. Snoop was up there talking about he saved, and, the, and, and for a minute I was doubting. You know, I was like, man, maybe Snoop, maybe he really did give his heart to Jesus. I said, maybe, maybe he did. <laughs> I, I was questioning. I said, maybe I'm just being a little too hard. And then the other day it popped up. Snoop with some strippers at a, uh, at a, at a rally at a, at a college. So you tell me in one minute you are saved and you love Jesus, and then the next minute you're with some strippers at a rally. No, my friends, that's not saved. Somebody is teaching him wrong. They're giving him pillows to sleep on. They're teaching him lies. And if he continues as he is, he's going to be lost. Many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians, but never truly giving their hearts to Jesus. False prophets making them comfortable in their sins. Therefore, ye shall see no more vanity nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Amen. Avoid false prophets, brothers and sisters. So should I consult a psychic? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Psychic hotline call now. What types of false prophets are specifically condemned in the Bible? According to Deuteronomy 18.10, one that uses divinations. Fortune tellers, leave those alone. If you touch them, you are unclean. What about observer of times, meaning astrologers, not astronomers. Those are different. An astronomer is a studier of the sciences of the stars. Astrologers are trying to special revelation. No, my friends, that is unclean. Don't touch it. You, what do they have those? What's your sign? My sign is the Sabbath. Amen. An enchanter, that's a magician, right? We don't do magician stuff, magic, deception, falsitivity. We don't do that. 
We don't believe in those things. And let me back up. Now what they're doing, they're having Christian magicians, my friends. No, it's not. We, we don't do that. That is not part of God's word. God said, don't mess with it. Leave it alone. It makes you unclean. A witch, which is a female psychic, leave it alone. We don't do that. That's unclean. It's not biblical. A charmer, a person who casts spells or charms. The Bible says, do not touch this. It makes you unclean. What about a consulter of familiar spirits? Deuteronomy 18.11 says, no, sir, don't do it. It makes you unclean. And that's, and brothers and sisters, let me just say, some of us will be tested on this. Family members that you love will show up in your room one day. I remember, I remember uh, go, going to a door and knocking on the door, and a lady comes out, and we're talking about, you know, we shared a book called God's Answers, and we're talking about what happens when you die. She says, oh, yes, my, my niece comes to me every night. And as we kept talking, we found out her niece was dead. So who's coming to her bed every night? That's an evil spirit. I remember giving a Bible study to a man, and I was giving him a Bible study on the state of the dead. We show that when you die, you are in the grave. You are not in heaven, and you're not in hell. You are waiting asleep in the grave for Jesus to call you forth. And I'm giving him the study. He's like, wow. So he says, so my father that comes to me every Thursday, He said he sits on the chair, he sits on a chair, and the spirit formulates into his father and comes into the room. He didn't know. Some of us will be tested on this point. My friends, it's an unclean spirit, and I'll tell you this. If you are tested on this point, I want you to call on the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Don't entertain it. Don't bring it into your house. Don't touch it. It makes you unclean. A wizard is a male psychic. We don't do that stuff. A necromancer, a person who claims to consult with the dead. We don't do that stuff. There's no dialing up anyone. Amen. Now, this is interesting. This is an interesting story. In 1 Kings twenty-two twenty-eight, it says, And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace... The Lord have not spoken by me. It, it, it's interesting. When God sends a strong message, and I don't know if it's on the next screen. Oh, yes. So the, when Micaiah speaks these words, there's another prophet that comes in, or all these prophets. Actually, let me tell the story better. What happens is the king is about wants to go to war. He's not sure if he should. So he calls in all his prophets in town and says, hey, guys, what, should I go to war? And all his prophets are like, yes, go fight. You're going to win. And he's like, well, none of these guys are really the true prophets. Bring me the real prophet. The real prophet comes in. Micaiah tells him, you're going to die. In my mind, as I read the story, it's like, wait, you didn't want to listen to all the false prophets, and you bring in the real one. The real one tells you the truth, and you don't listen. Huh? It's interesting. I remember, I remember one time, true story, I'm preaching at a church, and the church had lost its mind for a few minutes. And I had to stand up and communicate that they had lost their mind. But before I did, I asked them. I said, how many of you want the truth? And, and everybody's like, yes, I want the truth. One lady's like, hurt my feelings. I was like, okay. And I have it on video. It's really happened. I said, okay. And I began to explain to them that the music that they were playing 
was fit for the dance hall and that the music should not be brought into the church. And I, t- I began to explain to them that angels leave the building when that type of music is played. And they were silent. I mean, there was silence in the room and they were just it was a it was a, a provocation, if you will. They're sitting there and they're listening. And when I got back home, I know I watched a video and I saw that the, there was a lady behind me, the one that was in charge of music. She was upset. Livid. In one moment, you say, I want to hear the truth. Truth comes. Stone them. Because the truth is not comfortable sometimes. So he calls him Micah. Mike, Micaiah says, if you return at all in peace, the Lord has not spoke by me. And it's interesting, in this story, as the king goes out to fight, a random soldier just puts his arrow, a bow in the air, and just shoots it straight up in the, and the king, oh, let me just back up a little bit. The king hears what the prophet says, and he says, well, I'm going to disguise myself. So that way, they won't think of me as the king, and they won't come at me. Somebody else could be on the king's chariot. I'm going to disguise myself. So he thinks he's going to get away because of the disguise. A random guy pulls his arrow. The arrow finds his way because God's word is true. Amen? The arrow found his way and hits the guy in his private area, and he bleeds out right in the, in the, in the chariot. Micaiah is a true prophet. He said, if you come back at all, I'm not a prophet. He spoke and says, and a, and a certain man drew a bow and adventure, it's like random, and smote the king of Israel, and he died. My friends, you don't, listen, don't treat the men and women of God as if you're just randomly dealing with men and women of God. You've got to respect. I'm not saying you respect me. I'm not talking about that. This is not personal. <laughs> I'm saying when the prophet presents itself or a prophetess presents themselves and it's written and it cuts you, don't say, Psh, I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to listen to that. The person that does that, when they do that, they say, I don't need to listen to that. What they did was they rejected the Bible and the messenger. Because the Bible says there is the word of God and the testimony. So that's biblical. So don't reject the prophetess or the prophet. To whom does the Lord reveal his plans? And we already went over this. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. Will there be both true and false prophets in the last days? Of course there will. Matthew 24, 11 says, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive. How many, my friends? Many. This is Mr. Apple, Applegate, Apple something. Apple White. And the, 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 the spaceship was going by. And he said, kill yourself. So they all kill themselves, and they hope their soul went up to the spaceship so they can go on. That's a false teacher, my friends. Acts 2.17 says, sorry, what does Acts 2.17 say? Go, go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. We're going to get you out good time tonight. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, praise God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So God's going to pour out his spirit 
on all flesh in the last days, and there will be dreams, and there will be visions. Question, will God's end-time church have the gift of prophecy? Yes, we read that already in Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Two distinguishing marks of God's last day church. Very important. In what ways does God speak to a true prophet? Numbers 12, 6 and 8 says, If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a, what's it say, my friends? In a vision. And will speak unto him in a what, my friends? So that's how God calls his prophets, in a vision and in a dream. And without him, I will speak mouth to mouth. That's powerful. That's that's next level conversation right there. The Bible says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances. The Bible calls her a prophetess. Everybody see that? All right. We talked about Anna, but here it is. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. On the next day, Another passage says, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, his, now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. He had four daughters who prophesied. Let me get that number right. Four daughters prophesied. That's for the next time I preach this sermon. Amen. Now, Elijah is a prophet. One of my favorite stories. God commands uh, the birds to feed him. He calls fire down from heaven. And Elijah is there in the midst of a revival, right? The people, the people of God have been in such apostasy that God said there will be no rain. No harvest, no fruit. There will be no rain. And Elijah calls fire down from heaven and calling his people back to repentance. And Elijah was taken and translated to heaven. In my mind, as I think about this, if you think about this, Elijah is in heaven right now, and I'm not. We got to change that. Amen? We all have to get there. So Elijah leaves his mantle. Now, watch what the Bible says about Elijah. Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, that's interesting. Is Elijah coming back from heaven to earth to, to us? That's a good question. I'm going to leave it for you for a moment. Are miracles definite evidence of a true prophet? What do you think? I hope you said no. Revelation 16, 14 says, For they are the spirits of devils working what? So evil spirits can work miracles. It doesn't make them God's people. So just because somebody does a miraculous thing, or it, it doesn't make them chosen by God. So for they are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world. Remember Moses? When he's standing before Pharaoh, and he's able to do that, that miracle to bring forth the frogs? 
where the Egyptian magicians were able to do the same thing. They brought forth frogs as well. Next question. What is the most important test of a prophet? What do you think it is? Yes, Isaiah 8.20. The Bible says in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So the law, Ten Commandment law, the testimony is everything else surrounding the Ten Commandment law. Every testimony must be weighed by this book. So somebody gets up and says, I'm a prophet. The Lord has called me. I'm not going to throw them out right away. I'll listen for 10 seconds. <laughs> I might listen a little bit longer. And as, they, as that fruit begins to bear out, if it matches what the word of God says, we'll see what it does. Joseph Smith claimed to be a, uh, to be a prophet. But Joseph Smith claimed that his information was superior to the Bible. So at that point, he's disqualified, along with all the other strange things that come with that. Here we have Edgar Casey, Nostradamus, some other persons that claim to be prophets, uh, prophetesses, seers, and psychics. But none of these people match what the Word of God says. So what is the second test of a prophet? 1 John 4, 2, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, now let, me, let me pause for a second. There are people that say Jesus Christ is, is Lord and that he's come. But when we say in the flesh, you have to understand what that means yourself. Okay, because if you don't understand what it means for him to come in the flesh, somebody else may say it. They might have something different behind what they're saying. So you need to know for yourself, what does it mean that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? It means he has took, taken this on, this broken humanity, and he's walked in this broken humanity. He lived an absolutely perfect life. There's not one flaw in his existence. He spoke kind words when they needed to be spoken, and he spoke straight testimony when it needed to be spoken as well. And as he walked in the flesh, my friends, that perfection was sealed with his death. You see, if someone teaches Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that's what they have to mean. They have to mean that very point, because if not, they could be leading you on some, some uh, religious joyride. So what is the third test of a prophet? The third test of a prophet Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now, mind you, we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness. It's interesting. You remember, you remember the story of Job? And Job is having all these bad things happen in, in his existence. And the people sit down next to him and say, you must be messed up, man. God must hate you for, because of all the bad things that are happening to you. Just because bad things are happening to somebody doesn't mean that they've done something wrong to God. Some things ba sometimes bad things are happening because God is trying to remove your trust in human beings. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's trying to remove your trust in human beings, and those bad things are happening, and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And in that moment, Job didn't understand that all the universe was paying attention to him. And in that moment, all the universe is paying attention to him. God's name is being vindicated in the midst of his crisis. Yeah. 
You see, my friends, we look at our crisis altogether wrong. I do that to myself sometimes. Bad things are happening. I'm like, woe is me. God must have left me. It must be because of my sin that all. No, 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 no. God ain't mad at you like that. He loves us too much. So when you do this test, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. What does their life generate? Are people turning their eyes to Jesus or are they turning their eyes to material things and self and self-aggrandizement? So what is the fourth test of a prophet? The fourth test of a prophet, Jeremiah 28, 9 says, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass. Now, there are things the prophet says that are clear and definitive, like the mark of the beast is coming. That's not an option. That's happening. That's going to happen. You're going to have to make a decision, right? The, the flood is coming. That's not optional. That's going to happen. There are other things that are conditional, literally. Uh, Jonah goes and preaches, and he says, Nineveh, you're going to burn. You're going to be destroyed. And you know, Jonah didn't want to go. You know why Jonah didn't want to go? Because he knew God was too gracious. He would go preach, God would forgive them, and they wouldn't burn, and then he would be considered a false prophet. That, that's why he didn't want to preach. But, John, but there are conditions. One of them is, he says something, it should come to pass. She says something, it should come to pass. It says, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. So what three things does Paul command regarding prophecy? This is what Paul commands. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So don't get mad if you read something and it cuts you. Praise the Lord, it cut. We don't have to accept it yet. Prove it. Go through and read, study, pray. Is this legit? And then if it's good, hold it. Don't let it go. Don't sell it out because everybody else seems to be selling it out and throwing it away and burning it. No, 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 don't do that. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Luke 13, 34. Oh, time is gone. Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent unto her. Now, my friends, we're no different from these people. We kill our prophets too. In fact, I'll tell you this, we put them on the shelf, we don't read them. How much time do you dedicate? I mean, literally, or, like, I have a schedule. My day is full. If you guys ever came into my life, you want to leave it immediately. It's a crazy life but I have to schedule time in here. You have to schedule time to sit down with your word, to have the instructions of God so that you know how to navigate your day. That's the only way you're going to have strength. The devil's going to do left, rights, uppercuts, side kicks, spin kicks on your head. You need to know how to defend yourself, and you can't do that unless you're in the word of God. I'll, I'll say it this way. Back in the day when I played basketball, a lot. I averaged six, seven hours a day playing basketball. Easy. Of course, this is before I had to be a grown-up. But I would put time in. I dribble with my left hand, dribble with my right hand, crossover dribble behind my back, spin the ball on my finger, you know, jump shot, 
I put time in to understand the craft. When I became a Christian, you know what I did? Put time in. You put time in. You listen to music, you put time into that. You write poetry, you put time into that. You at your job right now, you have to learn that job, you put time into that. The Christian, above all else, should be putting time in. Should we be putting time in? I tell you the truth, some of us want to come to church to be fed instead of coming to church and feeding. The reason why you don't like church is because you're not feeding throughout the week. So you're not feeding throughout the week, and then sometimes a pastor may stand up and he's preaching, and you don't feel like you got nothing from him either. So now you're like, I'm not doing nothing at home, and I'm not getting anything at church. Forget this, I'm out. You have to feed throughout the week. I'll give you a tip. When you're in the car, instead of turning on the news, turn your Bible on. Huh? When, when, you're, when you're going about your day, instead of just random, put, put gospel, not gospel, listen, I don't mind gospel music from time to time, but it's not always about how you get in your feel. You got to educate your mind. There's a, there's a crisis here. You have to anchor your soul. You have to put the word of God in your mind. You have to. It has to be hid there. So when the devil comes, a natural response, the word just comes out, boom. Boom. Because naturally, you're going to be like, whatever you last put in is what's coming out. Whatever you last watch, what you're digesting in your computer screen is coming out in your experience. If you're doing Facebook, scrolling, you know how we scroll. And we scroll. Man, an hour went by scrolling. We did absolutely nothing for an hour scrolling. One time I did that, I was like, you know what? I really want to throw my phone out the window. I cannot believe I wasted a whole hour scrolling and doing nothing. Hide your word in your heart, brothers and sisters. Whose counsel do we, now watch this. Whose counsel do we reject when we reject the words of a true prophet? There is not a greater prophet, Luke 7, 28 through 30. There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justify God. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. So somebody says, well, I don't like her. Oh, I don't like him. That's, you liking them has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. You're rejecting the counsel of God. The counsel of God is being put aside. So here. One of my favorite people in the world. I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Her name is Ellen Gold White. She had the gift of prophecy. Now, me saying that to you doesn't prove anything. I'm going to give you reasons to believe. And after that, you could do what you will. She received visions early on. I mean, she's a little girl, she's like a teenager during that Millerite movement. After the great disappointment, she had a vision. She was very sickly, and she saw a vision of a, a path of on the way to heaven and people falling off the path. And as they were falling off the path, they rejected the initial light that was behind them, and they fell off the path. But she had so, a lot of different visions. Sometimes she would go into vision. She would hold up a 50-pound Bible. She would walk around like a Bible about this big. Now that I see it one here, probably a little bigger. 20 minutes like this. 20. Later, all the time. 
And she would open the Bible without looking at it like this, sometimes in vision, and she would go like this. And she would point to the text without seeing the text, and she would quote what the text said. And the people were like, is she getting it right? So they got a ladder. And as she's up there pointing, turning the pages and pointing, they got a ladder to see if she was doing the right thing. And every time they got up there to look, it was exactly what it was saying. She would hold the Bible up 30 minutes, 40-pound Bible like this. I'm already done, right? This, my shoulder's hurting. I'm putting this down right now. And she would do that from time to time. She would go into vision. And when she would go into vision, she would cry out three times, glory, glory, glory. And she would be taken into vision. Let me give you some highlights from her. Ellen Gold Harmer was born in 1827 to the Methodist parents at Gorham, Maine. At age nine, she suffered a near-fatal accident, terminating, terminating her former education, making her a sickly child. In 1840, intrigued by Baptist preacher William Miller's Advent Awakening revival preaching, Ellen gave her heart to Jesus. Soon after, baptism and membership in the Methodist church. And she was actually thrown out. Her and her family were thrown out of the Methodist church for believing in the soon coming of Jesus. She was deeply disappointed when Jesus did not return in 1843, and again in October 1844, as predicted by the Millerites. At age 17, December 1844, she experienced her first of many visions. She married evangelist James White in 1846. Now watch this. Ellen White published her first of dozens of books, a sketch on the Christian experience and views of Ellen G. White in 1851. In 1888, she published her most famous book, The Great Controversy Between Christ and Satan, and in 1898, she published The Desire of Ages. Both those books I'm going to give you tonight before you go home. It says a classic biography of the life of Christ, a life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, The Desire of Ages is the number one book in the Library of Congress on the life of Christ out of the 10,000 books they have. It is the number one book taken out. In fact, The Desire of Ages was the book that I read in order to be converted. And when I say that, I mean when you're talking about a book that talks about Jesus' life, it's 800 and something pages, and all you're reading is, and it, what the book has, it has the, the compilation of the Gospels. So it has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it puts it together in a beautiful, I'm selling you the book right now, selling. It's put together in such a beautiful way that as you behold the man Jesus in that book, you cannot help but be changed. In fact, true story, I was, I was telling him about this today, but I used to listen to um, R&B. Anybody know what R&B is? I don't even know if they make it anymore, but... I, I, I don't know, R&B, I don't know if they make it anymore. But they make R&B. And I used to listen to Mary J. Blige, Black Street, 112, where the players dwell. All that stuff. I would listen to it on a regular basis. Even when I got somewhat converted, I would just listen to it and change the words. <laughs> I would switch it around. But one day I started reading this book, Desire of Ages, and I would read it every day, along with my Bible. I would read it and read it and read it. And then one day I noticed... I haven't listened to this music. I just realized I hadn't listened to the music. And I was like, huh, interesting. Because many times I had tried to quit. I had tried to stop. What happened is my love for Jesus began to overcome my love for the things of the world. My time with Jesus began to overcome my time for the things of this world. So when I realized it had fallen off of me, I was so happy. And see, that's what that book does. Those books point you to Jesus. That's the intent of the book. It's not to make a new doctrine. It's some people use it to preach sermons, whole sermons. On the, that's not how it's supposed to be used. There are conditions in her vision. 
So here are the conditions. When giving the following statement from an individual who witnessed a medical examination of Mrs. White while in vision at Stowe, Vermont in the summer of 1853, he says, a physician was present and made such examination of her as his wisdom and learning dictated to find the cause of the manifestation. A lighted candle was held close to her eyes, which was wide open. Not a muscle of the eye moved. He then examined her in regard to her pulse and also in regard to her breathing, and there was no respiration. The result was that he was satis satisfied that it could not be accounted for on natural or scientific principles. I I'm just sharing that with you to show you it was supernatural. It doesn't mean that she was a true prophet. I'm just saying it was a supernatural occurrence. In the home of Elder James White on Monroe Street, Rochester, New York, June 26, 1854, it says, I was, seen, I was then 17 years old. It seems to me I can almost hear those thrilling shouts of glory, which she uttered. Then she sank back to the floor, not falling, but sinking gently, and was supported in the arms of an attendant. Two physicians came in, an old man and a young man, Brother White was anxious that they should examine Sister White closely, which they did. A looking glass was brought, and one of them held it over her mouth while she talked. But very soon they gave this up and said, she doesn't breathe. Then they closely examined her signs as she spoke to find some evidence of deep breathing, but they, could, they did not find it. As they closed this part of the examination, she arose to her feet, still in vision, holding the Bible high up, turning from passage to passage, quoting correctly, although the eyes were looking upward and away from the book. She had a view of the seven last plagues. Then she saw the triumph of the saints, and her shouts of triumph I can seem to hear even now. To these facts, I freely testify. So this is an eyewitness. Okay, this is someone that was there. 9-11, world conditions have changed. This is from her writing, Testimonies to the Church, Volume 9. On one occasion, when in New York, I was in the night season called upon to behold buildings rising story after story toward heaven. These buildings were warranted to be fireproof, and they were erected to glorify the owners and builders. Higher and still higher, these buildings rose, and in them, the most costly materials used. The scene that Next pass before me was an alarm of fire. Men looked at the lofty and supposedly fireproof buildings and said they are perfectly safe. But these buildings were consumed as if made of pitch. The fire engines could do nothing to stay the destruction. The firemen were unable to operate the engines. Does anybody know? Do you, do you remember 9-11? Like everything I read right here, when I, because when I, I didn't know this quote existed at the time. But when I read this and I went back, because I went back and I did a research on the building, the guy that had the building built, he had it built. He literally was interviewed. He said, I built this because I was trying to be, you know, famous and glorious. This is what he said with his own mouth. When you look at the, in, the fire engines, they said they could not operate them. They couldn't do anything with the fire. When you saw the building fall down, it just looked like pitch. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. This woman to the T spoke in regards to that event, the time is right upon us when there will be sorrow in the world that no human bomb can heal. Even before the last great destruction comes upon the world, the flattering monuments of man's greatness will be crumbled into dust. God's retributive judgments will fall on those who in the face of great light have continued in sin. 
costly buildings supposed to be fireproof are erected, but as Sodom perished in the flames of God's vengeance, so will these proud structures become ashes. This, my friends, was the testimony of Jesus, I believe, through this woman. And to this day, people hate her to a great degree. If you go online and you type up this woman's name, you'll have all sorts of websites trashing her and beating her down. In, in fact, I thought it was interesting. Before there was an internet, anybody remember those days before internet? All right. So there was a time before internet. But there was a time when the internet was introduced. And when it was introduced, I was at Oakwood at, in its earlier stages of it. And when I was there, I got online, I typed in the name of the person, I, I typed in her name, and I started reading. Now, mind you, listen, listen to what I'm going to tell you. I was not a preacher, no desire to be a preacher at all. And I don't like being tricked. I don't like being manipulated. I don't like churches telling me what to do. Because that's me, just so you know. And I know you are independent mind as well. So I was online, typed her name in, boom, website. Never seen it before. Website completely destroyed her. I mean, it completely just, I was like, I was reeling for like a day or two. Then I was like, well, wait a minute. Let me study this out. So I went through, I began to study, investigate. I don't care what objection you bring up, there's a biblical answer. I don't care what objection you bring up, the main issue at the end of the day, uh, wait, how, what sermon is this? This is number 20 something? 20, this is number 21? This is number 22? Let, let me ask you a question. Those of you who have been here, for the nights that I have preached, have I used the Bible? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't strong enough. Yeah. <laughs> I have used the Bible. I have preached 22 nights in a row or over time. And, and that's over an hour per sermon. Okay, you average that out. In all that time, everything I told you has been from the Bible. But let me tell you something. That book, where did I put it? Behind me. This book right here? Powerful book. Do I have any Spirit of Prophecy books around here? Can I, do you have one? No? No? Those Spirit of Prophecy books, Great Controversy. Let me tell you something. I've read that book, Great Controversy, a minimum of 22 times. It's a big book. I've read the last seven chapters of the Great Controversy no less than 55 times. Now, the, la the last seven chapters of that book, Great Controversy, explain what's going to happen in these last days. And all it does, my friends, it just buttresses everything that I've already taught you from the Bible. It just, when you read it, you'll see, oh, I get it. I understand. Oh, that happened? Uh, uh. It's like you get, it's almost like, you remember the story of, oh, what's the na name of the king? The king, the king is having a conversation in his private chamber, and every time he's having a conversation in his private chamber, somehow the Israelites know what's going on. And as he's having that private, he's like, who's telling on me? Who's spying? And they finally like, well, no one's spying on you. It's that prophet. <laughs> the prophet is giving the secret details to the enemy's plans. You know why the devil hates this? Because it exposes him. It exposes that, that no good rotten scoundrel. So, yeah, somebody in the church, oh, you don't need to read that. It's not salvation. You better tell them to leave you alone. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you better tell. These books, you can't tell me this is not from Jesus. Desire of Ages. Sweet Jesus in this book. 
There's somebody be like, don't read that because it, you, I dare you. I quadruple dare you. Read the book. When you're done reading the book, come talk to me. Be honest. When you read the book, honestly, read the book cover to cover. When you're done, come talk to me. Tell me if you don't fall in love with Jesus more. Tell me if you don't see more in the plan of salvation when you're done reading this book. Any honest soul who reads this book will fall in love with Jesus. You say, I don't know what to have for devotion. This book right here. You take this book with your Bible, and on your knees you read them together. I promise you, your spirit will be lifted. You'll become a stronger soldier of the Most High God. I'm encouraging you, my friends. I'm giving you tools to use to help you in these last days. God is giving these tools. I'm not giving God is doing that. So point to keep in mind. The skyscrapers would be built. These buildings would be considered fireproof. A good point to make with this, during that time frame, there was no such thing as skyscrapers when she's having these visions. They weren't built back then. So she's telling you these tall buildings are going to be built. These buildings would be considered fireproof. There was no such thing as fireproof buildings back in the day. Alarm of fire will be followed by people on the ground floor saying that the lofty buildings were perfectly safe. Anybody remember 9-11? People were told to stay in the building. It's safe in there. No, man. Listen, if it happens in the future, a plane hits your building, leave. Don't stay in there. Run. But they would burn as pitch. The fire engines wouldn't be able to stop the inferno. The firemen could, won't be able to operate their fire engines. The buildings would fall. The fearfulness of it all would be unimaginable. Do you guys remember that day? When everything stopped. Everything stopped. I was like, whoever did that is absolutely brilliant. The whole nation stopped functioning. And they were afraid, yeah. And in fact, church was full that Sabbath. Sabbath school was full. Church was full. Everybody was early. <laughs> Horace Greeley, the New York Tribune, January 1861. A few old women with broomsticks could go down there and beat out all the rebellion that there is in the South. Now, I'm saying this to you because at that time, when the idea of a civil war was percolating, the people are like, there's not going to be a civil war. But there was someone who actually said there is going to be one. I'll show you in a second. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, March 4th, 1861, says, I have felt all the while justified in concluding that the crisis, the panic, the anxiety of the country at this time is, what's it say, my friends? So he himself did not believe that there was going to be a civil war. But the prophetess said there was. Watch what she says. There is not a person in this house who has even dreamed of the trouble that is coming upon this land. Yeah, listen, people are making sport of the succession of, I mean, succession ordinance of South Carolina, but I, ha but I have just been shown that a large number of states are going to join that state, and there will be a most terrible war. In this vision, I have seen large armies of both sides gathered on the field of battle, I heard the booming of the cannon and saw the dead and dying on every hand. Then I saw them rushing up engaged in hand-to-hand -hand fighting, bayoneting one another. Then I saw the field after the battle, all covered with the dead and dying. Then I was carried to prison and saw the suffering of those in want who were wasting away. Then I was taken to the homes of those who had lost husbands and sons and brothers in the war. I saw their distress and anguish. 
Then looking slowly around the house, she said, there are those in this house who will lose sons in that war. This is at the time when all leadership was saying there's not going to be a war. It's artificial. You go down there and beat them with broomsticks. The prophetess says, I was shown. And as she said it, it came to pass. And let me deal with a little help for a few moments. So Sister White was years ahead in her, of her time. Ministry of Healing, page 327 and 328 says, Tobacco is a slow, insidious, but malignant poison. Mind you, my friends, at that time, they were prescribing tobacco for healing. She's saying the opposite. It is all the more dangerous because it affects our slow and at first hardly perceptible. This was written in 1864, my friends. Spalding and McGann Collections, page 48. Cancer, tumors, and all inflammatory diseases are largely caused by meat eating. This is her writing this. From the light which God has given me, the prevalence of cancers and tumors is due to gross living on dead flesh. She said that before anybody thought anything about this. Now scientists are finally catching up with her. Professor Clive McKay, Cornell University, he writes, in spite of the fact that the works of Mrs. White were written long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition, no better overall guide is available today. That's from a secular scientist, my friends. Y'all not here. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> China study, 2005. Dr. T. Colin Campbell, you guys, the book is excellent. You should get that book. It says, backed by the most extensive study of nutrition ever conducted and boasted by the dozens of additional studies and cases, gave us a simple but powerful answer. The key to good health is nutrition. By adopting a diet based on whole plant-based food, you can reduce your risk of degenerative diseases like heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. The China study told us that to eat I mean, the scientists told us what to eat and provided the revolutionary scientific proof uh, for this answer. In other words, it's confirming what the prophetess said years before. He goes on to say, I am not aware of anyone who was more on point than Ellen White. Listen, he's not from my church. I am convinced that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by scientific evidence that has been developed during the past two to three decades. Somebody should be saying amen. amen. That gift has been given to us. That's why it's been scientifically proven. Seventh-day Adventists live seven to ten years longer than everyone else. Scientifically proven. Scientifically proven. Notice what it says. This is from the American Institute for Cancer Research. American Institute for Cancer Research. Our methods and specific conclusions differ from Dr. Campbell's in several ways, but our bottom line message is the same. Diets that revolve around whole plant foods, vegetables, whole grains, fruits, and beans cut the risk of many cancers and other diseases as well. 
This advice has been translated into AICR's 10 recommendations for cancer prevention. She's right again. These books, I should have given you ministry and healing. Do we, do we have any of those? Y'all need to pray that we get some of those for you. This, that book, Ministry of Healing, is the jewel of all her books. Touches every aspect of the human life to improve it at every level. So these are some of the institutions that were raised up because of her teachings. The Bible says, 2 Chronicles 20:20, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and what does it say, my friends? And you shall prosper. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise to us. Last part here, because I want you to understand, her gift was given to us not to replace the Bible. That's not the purpose. In fact, she writes in her own words, in his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. She's writing, the holy scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and the test of experience. That's what she writes. Early Writings, page 78 says, I recommend to you, dear reader, the word of God as the rule of your faith and practice. By that word, we are to be judged. God has, in that word, promised to give visions in the last days, not for a new rule of faith, but for the comfort of his people and to correct those who err from Bible truth. From our own words. The Lord desires you to study your Bibles. He has not given any additional light to take the place of his word. This light is to bring confused minds to his word, which if eaten, we talked about this being eaten the word, huh? If eaten and digested is as the lifeblood of the soul. So her books point you back to the Bible. You read this book, you're going to read the Gospels. You read this book, you're going, to be reading the great, you're going to be reading the book of Revelation. They go together. They force us back to the Bible, to the word of God. Now, this is from her enemy. This is from her enemy. Now, you know you've done something well when your enemy speaks good of you. I know Sister White to be an unassuming, modest, kind-hearted, noble woman. These traits in her character are not simple put on and cultivated, but they spring gracefully and easily from her natural disposition. She is not self-conceited, self-righteous, and self-important, as fanatics always are. She is ever looking after the needy, the destitute, and the suffering, provided for them and pleading their cause. She studies God's words carefully and constantly. I have heard Sister White speak hundreds of times have read all her testimonies through and through, most of them many times, and I have never been able to find one immoral sentence in the whole of them or anything that is not strictly pure and Christian, nothing that leads away from the Bible and from Christ. But there I find the most earnest appeals to obey God, to love Jesus, to believe the scriptures, and to search them constantly. That's from her enemy. I'm not going to read his. The New York Independent, speaking of Sister White after her death, a secular paper. Did she really receive divine visions, and was she really chosen by the Holy Spirit to be endued with a charisma of prophecy? 
or was she the victim of an excited imagination? Why should we, why should we answer? One's doctrine of the Bible may affect, affect the conclusion. At any rate, she was absolutely honest in her belief in her revelations. Her life was worthy of them. She showed no spiritual pride, and she sought no filthy lucre. She lived the life and did the work of a worthy prophetess, the most admirable of their American succession. A secular paper wrote that, Ben. I share that with you because it's her fruit of her life. And I challenge you when you read to read with honesty. Now, this was written by a Roman Catholic lawyer. He was given the responsibility of finding out whether or not she was a plagiarist. You know what a plagiarist is, right? One who copies the writings of others. So a Roman Catholic lawyer went and investigated her writings, and this is what he wrote. To many of the critics, too many of the critics have missed the boat altogether, and it's too bad, too. I personally have been moved deeply moved by those writings. I have been changed by them. I think I am a better man today because of them. And I wish that the critics could discover that. This is a Roman Catholic who read all of the writings, most of the writings, because he's trying to figure out, is she a plagiarist? He comes away after honestly reading and saying, I'm a better man because I read them. I'm a better Christian, or I don't know calls himself a Christian, but I'm a better man because of that. My friends, I give that to you because that gift is present. You can have that gift and read and study and pray and fortify yourself for the crisis that is coming upon this world. I'm telling you, my friends, it is time. I invite you into that experience. How many understood what we studied tonight? Can I see your hand? You understood? Praise God. You understood? Praise God. How many accept my gift? I'm going to give you the gift. Can you take the free book? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let's go to our knees. Let's talk to Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we have been on a marathon today. And it's been good. Lord, you are about to come. You're trying to clean your people up, trying to prepare us. And Lord, we are rebellious people, resistant to the cleaning that you have desired for us. We ask for forgiveness. Lord, as the prophets have spoken in the past, as your word has cut us to the chase, we have resisted change. We have resisted coming up higher for several reasons, whatever they may be. But Father, right now, tonight, on our knees, with our bowed heads, we ask, Father, that you take our hearts, for we cannot give them. They are your property. Keep us and keep them, for we cannot keep them for thee. Save us from ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves. And raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love may truly flow through our souls. Father, please, wake us up from our slumber. Wake us up from our stupor. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. So on your